So you've heard of this guy. His name's Jesus. He comes on the scene at about the age of 30. One of the first things he does is he makes sure he gets himself baptized. And when he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And so from there, the Holy Spirit then leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted. He's being prepared for his ministry, for what he's going to be about during his time on earth. And then after that, he leaves the wilderness and he decides to go back to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he shows up back in Naz, that's what they called it for short, right? He, he goes to the synagogue and at the local synagogue, he, he sits down and he's ready to teach and he gets this scroll that's handed to him. And the scroll happens to be Isaiah 61. And so Jesus takes that and as, as he's about to read, what he's about to do is he's about to announce himself as the Messiah, God in the flesh, the Son of God. Like this is a big moment, at least for him. The people listening don't know it yet. And so he starts to read from Isaiah 61. And Jesus reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that you would give us to gather in a room like this to worship a God like you, that we might just in, in some small way encounter who you are today, that we might come to the realization of how much you love us, God. I ask that you would remove anything that, that we might be holding in our own hearts and lives that would keep us from encountering you today. God, would you just open us up to hearing your voice on what you have to say about bringing good news to the poor. And God, I pray for myself that you would give me your words and your wisdom to speak this morning. I know I can't do this on my own, God, and it is all for your glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, Journey, my name's Chris. Good to be with you this morning as we continue a series that we're calling The Beginning of the End, where we might, by the power of God in each one of us, become the beginning of the end of injustice in the world as we see it. And, and today, in particular, we're going to address poverty and the poor and what that might look like. So this is something that Jesus is not shy about addressing as we just found out. He actually addresses it like the, the moment he begins what he's about to do. So if Jesus is saying that his life is about bringing good news to the poor and we're to imitate his life and we want our lives to look like that, then it raises the question of who are the poor? Who are the poor? In first century Middle Eastern living, like the, the audience that Jesus was addressing, this is, this is what it would have looked like. The majority of society was poor. 90 to 95% of a first century, first century Middle Eastern society was poor. There wasn't even a middle class. So essentially there was all of the poor people and then the 5% who had everything. And so it's a very unique set of people that he's talking to, right? It's no wonder that Jesus says over and over again, I came for the poor, let's care for the poor, because that was basically everyone, right? Like exactly that. Within this 90 to 95% of people in poverty during that, that time, there, there was something like three classes of the poor. There was like the 
upper poor, I suppose, right? You could call them the surviving poor. Essentially, for those people, they were able to survive day in and day out. They could make it. And then right below that would be like the middle poor. And there were days and sometimes even weeks where they didn't know if they were going to survive. And then there was this really large group near the bottom. And they were the ones who weren't surviving day to day. That's how poor they were. And so when Jesus says he came to bring good news to the poor, he meant it. There was a direct need for 95% of the population he was speaking to. Like he meant he had real good news for real people. His heart, right, the heart of God was always bending toward the oppressed and the the marginalized and the poor. And so here, here's some, right, like hashtag real talk for you. It's always good to write a hashtag into your message, right? Uh, all that I'm about to say is something I'm not good at. And I'm not even sure what it means for me yet, which is really encouraging, I know. This, this sermon and our time this morning will come to an end And there will not be a nice little bow to wrap it up with. You will not walk away with, oh, I know exactly what I need to do to care for the poor in this world. It's scary. It's radical. But it's the way of Jesus. And I think I've been afraid of this sermon and sharing it with all of you because I'm actually afraid of owning it myself. I'm afraid of what this is going to ask of my life when I now stand on a stage and announce to you what all of this is about. And so maybe we'll just walk through this together and we'll see what God has for us and that God's words might speak to me as well as you. Hope that's okay. Uh, Over the last few weeks as I was trying to figure out where we would go with a message on global poverty, right? Uh, I realized I, I, could, I could give us statistics, right? Like there's this percentage of people who live on this much per day, right? That this is real. But, but we know that poverty exists. Like we, we would have to be very intent on avoiding the injustice of poverty altogether, if we were not able to say, yes, this is a real life struggle. This happens in the world that we populate. It happens all across the globe. It happens in our valley. Sometimes poverty even happens in our own souls, right? Like the reality of poverty is all around us. So this isn't about how poverty exists. We already know that. This is going to be about what God thinks of those who are poor and in turn probably what he thinks of those who aren't and really at the end of the day all of this is about how Jesus sees people so let's go for it I'm going to walk us through an intense somewhat confusing and often debated parable which again you're thinking great choice Chris right we're going to look in Luke 16 all right and this is the parable known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus Rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. And, and I'm going to be using the, the voice translation to help us capture the essence of the story, if you will. 
Like this isn't so much uh, about the, the theology of a, of a word. It's not about semantics. It's not about which translation's best. It's about that we might capture the essence of this entire story. So I'm going to read it to you so that you might put yourself in the story. When I begin in Luke 16, 19 here, you, you could even feel free to close your eyes and imagine yourself there. Right, and this is the typical time where a pastor would insert a joke about not falling asleep when you close your eyes. But if you need to sleep this morning, that's okay. All right? That's a remix of that joke. Uh, all right, all right, Luke 16, 19. Here, here it is. This is Jesus talking. He's telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There was this rich man who had everything. Purple clothing of fine quality and high fashion. Gourmet meals every day in a large house. Just outside his front gate lay this poor homeless fellow named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered in ugly skin lesions. He was so hungry, he wished he could scavenge scraps from the rich man's trash. Dogs would come and lick the sores on his skin. The poor fellow died and was carried on the arms of the heavenly messengers to the embrace of Abraham. Then the rich fellow died and was buried and found himself in the place of the dead. In his torment, he looked up and off in the distance, he saw Abraham with Lazarus in his embrace. He shouted out, Father Abraham, please show me mercy. Would you send that beggar Lazarus to dip his fingertip in water and cool my tongue? These flames are hot. And I'm in agony. But Abraham said, Son, you seem to be forgetting something. Your life was full to overflowing with comforts and pleasures. And the life of Lazarus was just as full with suffering and pain. So now is the time, is his time of comfort. And now is your time of agony. Besides, a great canyon separates you and us. Nobody can cross over from our side to yours or from your side to ours. Please, Father Abraham, I beg you, the formerly rich man continued. Send Lazarus to me, to my father's house. I have five brothers there, and they're on the same path I was on. If Lazarus warns them, they'll choose another path and won't end up here in torment. But Abraham said, why send Lazarus? They already have the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets to instruct them. Let your brothers hear them. No, Father Abraham, he said, they're already ignoring the law and the prophets. But if someone came back from the dead, then they'd listen for sure. Then they'd change their way of life. Abraham answered, if they're not listening to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone comes back from the dead. Interesting story, especially if we're going to be talking about poverty it begs a few questions. First one's this. What do we know about the rich man in this story? What do we know about him? And, and I, I will say this. It's likely you won't participate with me when I ask these questions. That's okay. I'll leave like moment of silence. If anyone wants to say something, that's great. If you don't, then I will answer the question. How does that sound? Your, your laughter says it all. Uh, okay, so what do we know about the rich man? Purple clothing, what does that mean? Royalty, right? Like the elite of the elite. Right, he's loaded, essentially. 
right? He's got purple clothing. He's got meal, gourmet meals every day. I love that, right? Like he's high fashion. He looks good. People know when they see him that he has money, right? And what else does he have? Where does he live? A big house, right? He's got a large house, which if we're talking about a time when 95% of the people were poor, there probably weren't a lot of people with large houses, so it was noticeable. What did he have out in front of his house? A beggar, that's right. And where was the beggar sitting in front of? Right, he was sitting in front of what? A gate. Why do rich people have gates? To keep people out, right? To keep people out, not to keep people in, although it sometimes works like that, right? But to keep people out. So this rich man has a very nice house. You can imagine what that might look like. It's not too hard for us on where we live and how we do our lives. No offense to any of that, right? But he's got a gate. And his gate is closed. And right outside his gate is a beggar. Is a beggar. So we know this. How does the rich man leave his house? Through the gate. And who does he see when he leaves the house? The beggar. Okay, so you're getting it, right? You see the picture now. There's a beggar right outside his gate. When he leaves, he sees the beggar. When he comes home, he sees the beggar. That's important to remember, okay? So now we've got this guy, the beggar. What's, what do we know about him? Does he have a name? Lazarus, right? Lazarus is his name. Why is his name Lazarus? This is a harder one. So you don't have to answer this one. Like, do you, do you, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've read any of the stories of Jesus, if you've read any of the accounts of his life, is there ever anybody named Lazarus in the picture? Yeah. Now, now there, there is, and he happens to be one of Jesus' best friends. And I'm not, I'm not saying that this is exactly why Jesus names this beggar Lazarus. But I can't help but imagine that the people he was talking to probably knew Lazarus because of where he was at at the time when he was probably teaching this. And they they probably knew something about him. There was a connection there. Remember, we're not thinking about this theologically necessarily. We're thinking about this as a story and how Jesus would tell it as a story. And so he says there's this beggar and he gives him a name and his name is Lazarus. And Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. What else did Jesus do to his best friend, Lazarus? He raised him from the dead, right? So I want you to get, now we're going to separate ourselves from that story, and you're going to imagine Jesus just hanging out with Lazarus. Lazarus' sister was, does anybody know who that is? Mary and Martha, right? Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the three that hang out together, right? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus hang out. And Jesus goes to Martha's house because I believe Jesus liked her cooking. Which is kind of funny but really true because she was always making food and he was always there, right? So why would he be there? And so when he would go there to eat her food, who would he hang out with? Lazarus, Right? So yeah, Jesus had his 12, he had his closest friends and the disciples, right? He had those people, but he had to have someone outside of that that might be a friend that he would spend time with. Like I I imagine Jesus reclining on the couch and like hanging out with 
Lazarus and he's like, Laz, let's get a selfie, right? And they take a quick selfie and they send it out and he's like, another meal with Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, right? Like that, he had that kind of friendship with him. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if maybe Jesus names the beggar Lazarus because he has a personal connection to those who were beggars, to those who were poor, to those who are outside of the gate. He's maybe making a point. How many parables that Jesus tells does somebody have a name in them? None. This is the only one. The only one. And so when I'm trying to figure out what God might think of those who are poor, what God might think about poverty, the first thing I think when I look at this is that Jesus gives the poor a name. They are not a statistic. They are not something just for our charity. They are people and they have a name. And in this case, their name is Lazarus. And he sits outside the gate. Anybody know what Lazarus means? That's another, that's a little, another hard one, I know. Sorry. Lazarus means the Lord helps. What's happening here, right? What's happening? We're not even to the point where they're like burning in torment and, you know, hanging out with Abraham. But like just up this point of the story, we're like, what? There's, there's this rich man with a gate who lets his beggar stay there. And this beggar's name is Lazarus. And Lazarus was Jesus' best friend. And I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's the same one, but it might be. And it means the Lord helps. So I wonder what the Lord's going to do for Lazarus. He's probably going to help him. The second thing, or fifth, I'm second, like who knows what number I'm on, right? Whatever thing I'm on, whatever number we're at in this series of things, right? There's this other thought I had. Because right now what you're thinking, and I'm assuming, I admit that, what you're thinking is that rich man's a real jerk. Right? You're thinking that. That rich man's a real jerk. And, I, and I'm just wondering if when Jesus is telling this story, that everyone else isn't actually thinking that this rich man's a jerk. That they might actually be thinking, I'm not even as good as that rich man. I don't even have it as together as that rich man because I don't have a beggar who I let sit outside of my gates. Right, like think about this. Somebody comes to visit the rich man. Who does he walk by? Lazarus. What does Lazarus have all over his skin? Lesions, sores, right? And what does it say about the dogs? They lick the sores, right? So I don't, I'm not super familiar with skin diseases and what that looks like, but if a dog wants to lick someone's sore, it's not just a scrape. Right, if a dog is licking his sores, that means they're oozing. That means that this is a, a very serious case of a skin disease. And so if you walked in to go see La or the rich man and you walk by Lazarus, what do you tell the rich man when you get inside? Do you know you have a beggar outside your gate? He's making you unclean and he's making me unclean. He's very gross and your guard dogs are licking him. 
I don't, I don't know if they're guard dogs, but they might be. Right? And, it, and again, if we're just speculating about this story, and these dogs who maybe are guard dogs are licking him, what does this mean? They're friends. He's there all the time. Every day, somebody carries Lazarus to this rich man's gate and lays him there. And he gets the scraps from the rich man's trash and the dogs lick his wounds. But for some reason, the rich man lets him stay there. That just started to blow my mind. The the, the rich man's not so much a jerk as he might be doing more for the poor than I am. That was the challenge. There, okay. So we've got this idea, right? The rich man's maybe not so bad. He's not so bad. And then they both die. Kind of an abrupt ending, but it's a short story, right? So they both die. And one goes to be with Abraham, right? They goes to be with Abraham in his embrace. And, and who does Abraham represent? Like, what does that mean? That, that's like with God, right? I, I'm not so certain that there, there's this extreme difference that Jesus is painting, that this is heaven and this is hell. But he's saying this is with God and this is apart from him. And you know what's crazy? I, I, I never get the idea that, that Lazarus prays prayers, worships, he's just trying to stay alive, and God says, well, when your time's over, come and be with me and Abraham. And the rich man, the one who's not so bad, who let a beggar stay outside his gate, let him eat his scraps, hang out with his dogs, he ends up far away and he shouts out to Lazarus and Abraham he's like hey come on over this is kind of hot right he doesn't ask to leave he just asks for something to cool his tongue right he just wants a little bit of cool in the midst of the agony that he's experiencing and so they have this exchange back and forth the rich man and Abraham they have this conversation of how they might leave how they might get out of there. And Abraham essentially is like, there's not another option, dude. Should have listened to the Moses, to Moses, the law of Moses and the prophets, which would have said, care for the poor. Take them in. Just holds up there. And then something interesting happens. The rich man's like, all right, if I can't get out of here, you've got to go see my brothers. How many brothers does he have? Five. Five brothers. Why does he say he has five brothers? Why does that number matter? Why should we even care how many brothers he has? I don't know, but I have an idea. You want to hear it? All right. Here's my idea. Remember Lazarus and his relationship with Jesus, right? Not the one in the parable, but Jesus' friend. I would say Lazarus was kind of like a brother to Jesus. He was like one of his brothers. And so now this rich man saying, I had five brothers, go and save them. Go and take care of them. And it's almost like Abraham is saying, or as Jesus is communicating this story, he's like, you didn't have five brothers. 
You had six. When you left one outside the gate, you fed him scraps. You wouldn't let him in. You wouldn't sit at your table with your sixth brother. And I think maybe the way of Jesus is all about who is sitting at your table. And for me, there's a few things going through my mind or through my heart. It's that the poor have a name. And they are our brother or they are our sister. And we would do well to get to know them and invite them to our table. But the question becomes, is our faith in Jesus radical enough to actually invite people to our table? Like, would I, would I actually invite them into my home? Do we believe that the, the good news is so good that the stranger or the outcast or the oppressed or the marginalized or the poor among us is actually welcome to dine at our dinner table as our family? I don't know. <laughs> like, that's heavy. I've been, I've been spending half of my time essentially living in Phoenix and when you end up in a city born and raised, grew up in Bozeman my whole life so I, I put an identity on the poor as they have a sign outside of Walmart or Costco, that, that's, what, that's how I've labeled them unjustly, arrogantly I acknowledge that but when I ended up in a city for these last three or four months. It's a different world for me. And I realized I was very uncomfortable. This was stretching me outside of my comfort zone. And I thought of poor people in a city as them. And I had never thought to attribute to them a name. And I'm not sure yet if I so believe the good news of Jesus that I would say, hey, do you want to come have dinner with my wife and I in our house? Because that's messy. That probably smells different than it normally does. We don't have kids, but if you have kids, that's a whole different Ball game because now you're immediately worried about your children. Do you so believe this radical message of the good news of Jesus that you would say anyone is welcome at our table, even in the presence of our children? I don't know. So I suppose, though, if we don't want our wealth or our power or our prestige to continue to control us and own us, then we must never stop giving it away in the name of Jesus. And I do think near and dear to the heart of Jesus is sharing a meal with someone who is not like us. 
And I'm not sure what to do with that. But if I look at the way Jesus lived his life, everyone was invited to the table. The kingdom that he is proclaiming when he tells this story to the, to the group of people, 95% of which are surviving or barely or not at all. He's saying the kingdom's actually for all of them. They're all welcome. They're all invited to the table. And that's what your life should be about too. That's what my life should be about too. And that's not even saying anything to the massive global level of poverty in the world, like all over. And so again, I don't know necessarily what to do with all of this, but as this settles on your soul today and on my soul today, the band is already here. And... And they're going to play a song. It's a song about how you and I, when aligned humbly with the heart of Jesus, might in fact make a difference, might have something to offer those who aren't like us, those who are on the edges of society, and we might be a part of the solution to be the beginning of the end of poverty. Looks down at his hands and he says, 
guys. You could go ahead and set things aside if you have anything out even at this time. And you, you could even now maybe spend a few moments just humbly before God maybe asking what this means for you. Like I said, it's not anything with a nice bow to tie it up. So I believe that God would want to speak to each one of us, use each one of us in our own unique personal ways to see people as Jesus sees them, to make a difference, whatever that might be. Go ahead and take some of that time now with God, and I'll close this here in a moment. continue to take this time, I maybe want to just speak over the top of us and what's going on for you. Because maybe, maybe today was a day you are actually thinking about Jesus and about the way you imitate his life in a whole new way. 
Or maybe today you're thinking you never knew that Jesus was like that or you never knew much about Jesus. And so Jesus comes on the scene, right, and he says, I'm here for the poor. But he doesn't just say it, he follows through on it. His whole life characterizes how much he loves people, how much he loves those who would be seen as outside. He, he actually lives that so much that he goes to the cross and he dies on it so that we might have a way to have a relationship with him. He says, that's how much I love everyone. That's how much everyone is welcomed in. And if today's a day that you want to walk into that relationship with Jesus for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you, you can pray a prayer with me in the quiet of your heart that goes something like this. And Jesus, today, I see maybe even for the first time how much you love not only everyone but me. I acknowledge that I've messed up, that I've fallen short, that I've sinned. But Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Would your love extend to me and give me life in the same way it did to countless other people? This morning, Jesus, I'm giving you control of my life. I'm not sure what that means for me from this point forward, God but I want my life to be about you. And if you prayed that, if you want to step into that relationship today, there's not many things in your life that carry more weight as the moments we choose to follow Jesus. And it's so important to us around here that we ask that you would just share that with us simply by slipping up your hand and making eye contact with me. You'd be saying before God today I, I'm all in Jesus my life is all about following you so if that's you would you just be so bold as to slip your hand up now and make eye contact with me and that'd be you saying yeah I'm all in today Jesus yeah good job Jesus, I thank you for those who stepped into new life with you today, God. And I thank you for everyone in this room, Lord, that you have uniquely created each one of us to glorify you and in our own way. And really, God, we're in awe that you would even want to use us at all. God, we're in awe of how you look on those who we often see as other and you give them a name. And so my prayer for all of us as a Journey Church family is that we would walk out of these doors today and we would see people as you see them. That we would be so impacted by the good news of who you are and what you're about, Jesus, that we would even invite anyone to our table. And that we would look across the table at those who are sitting with us and see them as you see them, as people who matter, as people who have value, as people who have names, God.
And maybe just, maybe, by your power at work within us, even in just some small way, we might partner with you in being the beginning of the end of poverty. We love you.